Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back to the Heal the Hurt podcast. Are you just kind of sick and tired of feeling sad and frozen and stuck and powerless all the time? Well, I'm going to help you put that to an end today. I'm going to give you 10 empowering questions you can ask yourself, sort of a, I don't know, a 10 commandments that you can keep with you. So when you're having those tough days and you're stuck in that powerlessness and feeling sad and lonely and frustrated, you can ask yourself one of these questions to turn that and flip that around right away. But before I get into those 10 questions, you know, everyone wants to know, why do we feel so disempowered at times? Where does that come from? Well, primarily when we're in that place where we just can't find an answer to anything and we're overrun with all of those negative thoughts and feelings, really what's happening is we are stuck focusing on what we can't control versus what we can control. Think about it. Maybe it's a relationship with somebody. Maybe it's something at work, your kids. Well, we can't control other people. We can't control the weather. You know, we can't control what other people think, feel, and do. There's so much to life that we don't have a solution to because it's out of our control. Well, when we switch out of the thinking about the people, places, and things that we have no control over, and we flip that and look at what can I control within myself? That's ultimately how we shift out of that. And that's what these 10 questions, they're different ways for you to get back focusing on what you can control. Now, what causes this habit? Well, some of it is, you know, our brain. I mean, the way our brain developed originally, it had to be afraid all the time. It was the environment, you know, millions of years ago was one of scarcity and fear, you know, of animals and all these different things. Our brain hadn't developed enough to protect itself, develop all the wonderful things we've done really in the last hundred years. Uh, we now live in a much safer world. It's very rare that on a daily basis, we run into anything that's scary. Whereas, you know, originally as a organism or as a uh, species, we started out, you know, everything was survival all day, every day. So our brain became conditioned to always see the negative first. You know, there's a high negative bias built into our brain. Now, the good news is we've shown with neuroplasticity, we could remove that from the species. We don't have to stay stuck in this negative bias. That's a lot of, you know, the philosophy and the thesis behind my book, Your Journey to Success, is our brain has been conditioned to repeat this powerlessness and this really a self-victimization model because we haven't really been shown how to break out of it. And so my whole program of emotional mastery and everything is here's how we can reorient the brain and change its in a sense, inherent nature. Now, will that be done overnight? Of course not. It took us millions of years to get stuck in this pattern. It could take us thousands or millions of years as 
a species to reorient that natural bias. Now that's the main reason, but really what keeps that going is our childhood. I mean, think about it. How many times in childhood did were you disempowered? Were you asked or forced to do things that went against your own inclination, your own desires? Now, many of those things from our parents are good. We don't want to touch a hot stove and we don't want to put our finger in a light socket. So much of what our parents did was perfectly appropriate and meant to save our life and help us in the best way possible. But because we're all perfectly imperfect and we all make mistakes, many times our parents, because of their own disempowerment, they pass that on to us. So what would that look like? Well, if you had a mother or father who grew up in a divorced household or maybe there was addiction or violence, something like that, that preconditioned them to constantly be afraid. And so in their parenting, maybe they were a helicopter parent. No, you can't go this, you can't do that. Oh my God, call me when you get there. Are you okay? What's going on? And so because of their own fears, now they're passing that down to us and controlling us and taking our inherent power away, our ability to explore the world and, and you know make perfectly imperfect decisions and mess up. And so what you see a lot of times is kids go off to college and all of a sudden the drug issues start, the, you know, they might get pregnant or, you know, all of these things happen because they were never given the opportunity to learn, uh, you know, basic mistakes and how to recover from them as a child because mom and or dad fixed all those problems or protected them from that. Now, again, you know, protection is good, but there's a way to protect. And, you know, this is a good example. It, maybe you have young kids or maybe you know somebody, but I always use this analogy when I'm working with my clients who have kids and they're like, how do you navigate this appropriately? And I always use the metaphor of a, of a backcountry road, a two lane road. And you know how the center line, it's double yellow lines, right? You're not supposed to cross it. Well, when a child is an infant, Basically, mom and dad are the yellow lines and that small space in between the lines, that's the area the child gets to explore. Think about it. When your child was an infant, you're like around everything, especially when they start walking or moving. You're like, you know, you have to stay right next to them because they're going to fall down the stairs. They're going to walk into the pool. They're going to stick their hand in something they're not supposed to. And so it's very appropriate for us to be highly involved and be those yellow lines. And I always picture it as mom and dad just lightly, you know, massaging the child back in between those yellow lines. Well, as the child begins to grow in autonomy, you know, four, five, six, ten years old, now our role is to move those lines. And now we become, you know, on the side of the road, they have the white lines, right? Before the shoulder. Now we're the white lines. And so they're in, you know, early adolescence and maybe even teenagers. And, you know, now we're the white lines and allowing them to explore and cross that double line and make a mistake. You know, they staying in your lane is great. Everything's safe here, but we cross that line. Oh my gosh, oncoming traffic, you know, imperfections and, and scary situations come on and there's a crash. Well, we want them to crash, bruise a knee and have, you know, or let them suffer the consequence of, poor grades in school, different things like that. Those are minor consequences. 
and they learn from those consequences how to navigate and get back, if we allow them, how to navigate getting back onto their side of the road and staying safe. But many parents who end up disempowering their child, they stay at those yellow lines. You know, they're constantly hypervigilant. And, you know, they'll say, I just, I don't want my child to suffer. Well, they're actually creating suffering because when we overprotect and strip our child of power, as I said, once they become adults, they don't know how to navigate disappointment. They don't know how to navigate imperfections or make decisions for themselves because mom and dad were so invested in keeping them safe. What they actually did was make them incredibly unsafe. Now, again, their heart was in the right place, but these are the consequences of not understanding these dynamics. We're perfectly imperfect and little things like this leave wounds in our child. And so we wonder why as an adult, they're in this terrible relationship or whatever. Well, it's usually a consequence of not understanding that dynamic. Now, as our child moves into, you know, more early adulthood, you know, later teenage years, well, now there's the soft shoulder. And, you know, think of it, if it's a backcountry road, now they're the fences, right? They, you know, these are ranches and things, so they have the fences. Well, now we're the fence, right? And anything over the fence is life and death, okay? But as a teenager, yeah, they're gonna get into that shoulder. Now, they, you know, they're making bigger decisions. They're making bigger mistakes and you get off into that soft shoulder, yeah, you, you can roll the car a little bit, you know? There might be some danger in some of that. But again, in general, the consequences are things they can recover from that will then protect them as an adult so that they don't make deeper, more devastating consequences. As I said, the fences are, you know, this is life altering decisions where, you know, they're forever damaged or forever um, suffering the consequence of a grave problem. Well, yes, we want to be that fence and protect them from that. But anything in between there, we want them to explore. We want them to fail as much as possible. And instead of running in and rescuing them, you know, a question I always advise my clients to say is when our kids are, you know, that middle teen, late teenage years, and they start making those bigger mistakes, instead of telling them what to do, it becomes so... What do you think you can do about that? What are your options? How are you going to get yourself out of this? And see that hypervigilant parent will come in and go, you need to do this, this, this. Don't you ever do that again? Like they're robbing them the opportunity of learning how to get out of that soft shoulder and you know how they rolled the car over. How do I right the car and get it back on the road? And so as a child matures, we want to move less from the dictatorial teaching, I'm right, you're wrong into more of the advisory role of, so based on your experience, what are your options? And if you can't think of any, then what do you think you'll do about discovering a new answer? See, we, we give them the space and we turn into that advisor so that they can learn how to be an advisor for themselves when they move off on their own. So that's the primary cause of it is just perfect imperfections as parenting, all right? Now, let's get into the 10 questions to turn things around. And these, you'll see, the goal of all of these is to create a massive emotional shift because emotions are what changes, not thoughts. 
we become what we feel, not what we think. And the science shows that, that if you, and if you look in your own life, whenever you've made a big monumentous change in your life, it's been a feeling was at the heart of it. And that generated the thought, which then created the action. So that's the key to these questions. So the first one I suggest you ask yourself when you're in that stuck place is straightforward. What can I control? Remember what we're doing? We're focusing on what we can't control versus what we can control. And as I always tell people, make two lists. One of all the things you have absolutely no control over and the other one with things that you can control. Now, this is a living document. As you go out through your day, you're going to discover things. Oh my God, that is something I can control. So when we're in that powerless, stuck, frozen, sad, depressed place, now we have a working list of things that we can focus on to move us into that empowered position. So that's the first question. What can I control? Now, this, I, this is a question I stole from somebody. I can't remember the book. I read the whole book and I came across this sentence and I was like, oh my God, this is brilliant. I wish I could remember the book, but uh, I would pass it on to you. But he phrased this question as, I'm excited for me to find a way to fill in the blank. So in other words, when we're powerless, all we're thinking about is all the ways it's not going to work, all the problems, right? And so with that question, it's like, wait a minute. No, I may not have the answer. Some things in life we don't always have the answer to, but I'm excited. I'm excited for something to cross my path today, whether it's a person, place, or thing that's going to show me the answer. Here's an example. This was a couple years back, and I was really stressing about something work-wise. I needed to do a podcast with um, you know, somebody that had a bigger name, and I, I didn't know anybody. Well, I was getting up in a deadline. I had to figure it out. And I was in the, I can't control. I'm telling, I'm having conversations. God, I just don't know anyone. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I need this person. I don't have it. And so I was ruminating on what I can't control. And I'll never forget. I always wake up in the morning, have my coffee up on my upper patio. And I was standing there and I remember that question. And I just stood there and I used the emotion. I'm excited. I'm excited to see what's going to cross my path today. How am I going to find the best way to solve this problem? I don't know what it'll be, but I'm excited to see what will happen. Well, it was hysterical. The first client I had that morning, I show up and he's like, Hey, did you watch Sports Center or, or um, 30 for 30 this weekend? Well, it was a documentary about a football player that he knew in college. And I had forgotten I knew this football player. And I was like, boom, there it is. Now, see, this is what I found. When we are focusing on what we can't control, the answer walks right past us. I would have never clipped into, wait a minute, this is exactly what I need. He just gave it to me. And I've seen that over and over and over. When we're in that powerless position and disempowered, the answer comes walking right by us. And we never see it. It reminds me of that old parable, you know, of a guy stuck on a deserted island praying to God to come save him. And he's sitting there and all of a sudden this boat comes up and says, you know, and he's like, hey, can I help you? And he's like, well, yes, I'm deserted, but no, I'm, I'm praying for God. God's going to save me. 
And the guy, you know, the guy in the boat leaves and then a helicopter, same thing. And finally the guy dies and he's like, God, I thought you loved me. I thought you were going to save me. He's like, look, I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. In other words, when we are so stuck in the victim disempowered position, we'll never see the solution. It, it almost invariably walks right by us. And that's what that question will help you do. I'm excited today for me to find the best way to solve X problem, okay? That's question number two that'll empower you. Number three, what can I start saying no to? See, when we're powerless, uh, almost always, what contributes to that is we are allowing behavior or doing things that don't work for us. We're saying yes to things we want to say no to. And I found this to be consistent in everybody's life they're trying to be nice. Their heart is in the right place that they want to do things for other people. But many times they don't have the reserves or like a child, they were raised to do things for everybody else and sacrifice who they are. So they're stuck in this people pleasing or they have a sense of guilt if they don't say yes. And so that's one of the greatest ways. See, we're in two ways we get disempowered. We focus on what we can't control and almost always we're saying yes to things we wanna say no to. So look in your life, what people, places, and things are you saying yes to that are robbing you of your inherent power? Now, here's how you'll know. One, if you feel guilty at saying no, then there's an indication you're saying yes to things you should be saying no to. If you have any resentment at all the things you've done for people, then you need, that would be an indication you need to start saying no to that person, place, or thing. If you've kept score or you're throwing it in their face, any three of those conditions come up where you're like, hey, I keep doing all this stuff and nobody gives it back, that means you are disempowering yourself and those would all be person, you know, people, places, or things that you could start saying no to, okay? Number four, what brings me joy? This popped uh, just the other day for me, um, I was feeling a bit disempowered and I went shopping really just to stroll. Sometimes I just like to walk around. I'm like, I, I have to get moving. Um, you know, there are many times I just sit and allow myself to experience the discomfort, but I knew internally, no, some of the discomfort is I, I haven't been out enough. So I just went to Bed Bath & Beyond and was just strolling. And I turned an aisle and I saw this. See what this is? It's a hanger to hang pants. I got so excited because I had realized I can't stand hanging my pants on you know these dry cleaner hangers. I know it's silly, like who cares? But I just like my pants to hang and I like them on good hangers. And I turned the corner and I see these packages and these hangers. I'm like, oh my God, I got so excited. See, they're the simple little things in life that bring us joy. What is it? Like for me, laying in the sun brings me joy. Going for walks, buying hangers bring me joy. There's always something in our life that brings us joy. What is it? Make a list of all the different little things in life. Got a blizzard. Some days, a chocolate double fudge 
brownie and then I get extra chocolate. Oh my God, so much joy in that. That's an empowering perspective. Again, we're nurturing ourselves. We're meeting our needs and wants. We're developing self-care. We're taking care of ourselves. That's an empowered position instead of stuck and collapsed, all right? The next question, number five is, what do I love the most about myself? Now, this can be tough for some people. Many people are struggle with really accepting something about themselves, but think about it. Aren't you a great friend? Aren't you maybe spiritual or maybe something in your career? Or maybe it's something in your eyes or your nose or your smile. There is always something about us as a person, about our character, about something we can do and accomplish or have done and accomplish that we really love about ourselves. And you see, again, that creates that emotional shift. It moves us out of that helpless, hopeless, powerless victim position into truth. We all are lovable. We are all perfectly imperfect. We all have many, many great things about us that we many times don't give ourselves credit for. So start looking in your life, start making a list. What are things you just truly love about yourself? Number six, what's my best skill? What do I do really, really well? That goes back to, you know, what do I love about myself? There's something that we're all very good at, whether that's an activity, whether it's something in our career, maybe it's the way you are as a parent. Maybe it's your heart to learn more. Maybe it is the way you express your heart. That's a skill. Maybe it's the way you're pursuing growth. You know what? You're still tuned into this, watching this, and it's like, wow, you know, that is a skill. These are things we have to learn. And so are you pursuing personal growth and developing those skills? That's something else to give ourselves credit for. All right? Number seven, what is something I've always dreamed of doing? See, when we're in that disempowered position, all we can see is really destruction. We're seeing all the things we can't do. But we've all had dreams. Every single one of us had a dream in our life. And many times we lose sight of those dreams. And think of how good it feels to dream. Like, (laughs) I got an email just the other day um, from Southwest Airlines, like 150 bucks to go to Hawaii. I was like, oh, God, it's been 30 years since I was in Hawaii. And I was really considering, my gosh, wouldn't that be amazing? The beaches, the flowers. You see, I got to dreaming again. I got to thinking, what would it take for me to do that? What would I have to do with my schedule? All these different things. But see, do you, do you see what I'm looking at? I'm looking for solutions. I'm now in the empowered position. I'm in the dream. What dream have you always had? What have you always wanted to pursue? Start focusing on that. Get yourself out of that sense that everything is bad and awful. Sit and dream. Change the way you feel. Number eight. What skill do I need to learn to achieve that dream? See, many of our dreams are focused on an achievement. We want to accomplish something in a, as a relationship, you know, relationally. Maybe you want the dream marriage or dream partner. 
Maybe you want, you know, a great friendship or to develop, maybe you want to play the piano. That's something that's on my bucket list. What sort of dreams do you have and what sort of skills do you need to learn? If you, I mean, the best way, remember, we have to focus on what we can control, not what we can't control. So the best way to achieve what we can control is to develop new skills. Well, that requires, as I always say this, knowledge first. Once we gain the knowledge, we start working it and developing it into a skill. And over time, as we hone that skill, it becomes a tool. And so that's what you're looking at it with this question. What is a skill I need to learn? What knowledge do I need to gain so I can turn it into a tool to achieve this dream? All right. Number nine, what's the smallest step I can take today? Do you feel how empowering that is? You know, when we're in that disempowered place, the problem seems so overwhelming. Even like the last question, what skill? Oh my God, where do I start? There's so much I'd have to learn. There's so much I'd have to do to achieve that dream. Boom, I'm focusing on, on what I can't control. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. That might be true, but what's the smallest thing I can do today? Well, maybe I'll just go up and Google. One piece of it. Read one article. That's it. I've already started the journey. I am now living in what I can control. And I'm already shifting. Now I have a sense. Look, the greatest chemically producing way we can shift the way we feel is to learn. It is the single greatest way we feel self-esteem and self-empowerment is when we gain new knowledge. So that would be a suggestion. When you ask yourself, what's the smallest step I can take today? Look for something you can learn. That will really shift you out of that disempowered, frozen, depressed, sad position into a sense of, I achieved. I feel better about myself. All right? Finally, number 10. <clears throat> this one comes from Byron Katie. I love that woman. She's brilliant. And when she helps people conquer how really they haven't reconciled pain in themselves, she finishes with this thought. Because most people, when they've been through something bad, they'll say, I never want to experience that again. Oh my God. No. Well, but wait a minute. Do you see how experiencing that brought you to this new understanding and this sense that now you have more empowerment. I've never understood that, you know, very successful people will talk about how they they want their kids to never suffer like they did, yet their suffering is what created their success. I want my kids to suffer as much as possible, obviously, between the fences, but the more they suffer, it, it, you know, in that space, the more success they'll achieve. And so this is a way to get rid of the residue of that disempowered feeling. And you ask yourself, what if I never had this disempowered feeling ever again? Think about it. Where are you feeling that disempowerment in your body? If you're not right now, go back to a time when you felt really hopeless, sad, depressed, frustrated, angry, completely devastated and feeling like nothing's going to change. I'll never get out of this. Now ask yourself, what if I never had this thought of how I'm stuck and frozen and nothing will ever change and this feeling in my body? 
What if it was gone forever and I could never experience it again? What would be left over? Well, do you see it? What would you think and feel then? Light. You'd feel lighter. You wouldn't have the burden of all those negative thoughts and feelings. You'd feel strong. You'd feel safe. You'd feel joy. You'd feel happiness. See, that's the essence of our soul. Before childhood, before millions of years of our brain being conditioned to fear, our authentic soul is behind that question. That's who we're meant to walk in every day. This is how we as a society shift that negative bias in our brain and body to always defer back to that victim position is we sit in truth. The truth is those feelings and those situations are momentary. That disempowerment and that suffering always leads us to the solution. They're not bad. And so when we take away, when we make the choice to no longer see them as disempowering as a problem and we cast them aside and say, who would I be if I never had this thought or feeling ever again? What would be left over? That's when we see for the first time our authentic self, our true greatness, the true power that we have as every individual has to achieve anything and everything we want and be in peace and contentment. So there you go. There are your 10 commandments that you can use to empower yourself. I hope that helped you. If it did and you think it might help others, please share it. Leave a comment. Let me know. Maybe you have other empowering questions that work better for you. I'd love for you to share them so other people can learn from them. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. Many more videos like this to help you switch from that disempowered position to that strong, powerful position. So I hope that helped you. Have a great day. And as I always say, just enjoy the journey.